Morning, Mars Hill. Kids, you can be dismissed to your classrooms. And as they go, I know there's some sitting in the back. There's plenty of room. There's plenty of seats as the mass exodus moves uh, out. <clears throat> and I'd just like to correct something Brian mentioned. Uh, demanded and heavy-handed, and I think it was more of a question, what are you going to be singing this Sunday? I think that was the context, as I remember it at least. Uh, but I do love that song, and I do love the way that, that we choose songs here in Mars. We choose them based on the Bible, based on the text. That, that song comes out, Long Expect Jesus, comes right out of the text. There's a line in it that he's come to set us free. That's the text, that he is the a baby yet the king, a child yet the king, and, and that's also, again, right out of, out of the text. And so we, we choose songs based on the text. We also choose them based on the gospel, not on based on our preferences and, and other things that we could choose. So I do appreciate that uh, here at, at Mars. Today is uh, officially the start of Advent. Uh, today is the official day that you light the first candle of Advent. I know that we started our Advent series last week. We were just so giddy to get into it, we couldn't help ourselves. And so uh, we really are, through this series, taking uh, this season, we'll have four weeks on the different characters that received the first good news of great joy, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, and then the wise men, and then we'll end on Christmas Eve with Isaiah 9, 6, and the promise of peace, uh, the promise of the Prince of Peace, and who's whose peace and, and throne will last forever. And so as we work through this series, what we're doing, we do this with every Advent, Advent series. Advent essentially means come, coming, or anticipation. And what Advent is, is thinking back, looking back, meditating on the anticipation of the long-awaited Messiah. And then celebrating that he did come, but we stand after the fact. He did come. And now we stand anticipating, waiting for his return, his second coming, and the hope, the eternal permanent hope and peace that he offers. So with each Advent series, what we've done is we, we lift the, the theme of Advent, the anticipation and coming of Jesus, and we just turn the diamond just a little bit more, and we look at it from a different angle each time. And so this series, we're looking at the earliest recipients of this good news of great joy. Each one represents some different angle, and what's amazing is you look at it, you see the servant of God, Mary, you see a righteous man in this text, and then you see the shepherds who are out in the field, and then you see those wise men who are from the east. Each one of the texts indicates something about who they are, and they're further and further and further from the center, and yet they're all invited in. They're all invited in. Those who are far are brought near. Those who are out in the field, those who are considered unclean, are invited in. Even those who are trying to live a moral, righteous life are invited in. And to hope in Jesus and not themselves. And so this morning we're looking in Matthew chapter 1. We'll be in 18 down to 25. I know in the, in the weekly you have uh, 1 to 20, or 18 to 23 printed. But we're going to look through verse 25. And we're going to look at Joseph and his story. A story that begins with fear but ends with faith. A story that begins with chaos and difficult circumstances, messy circumstances, but ends with peace and clarity. And what's the difference? What's the difference between the two, how it starts and how it ends? The difference is the promise, God's promise in the middle of God with us come to save. 
It's the promise of the Son, the Prince of Peace. And that's the transition from the man who starts with fear to the man who ends with faith. So let's read our text this morning. Those are our three things that we're going to see. The problem that Joseph has, Joseph's problem, God's promise, and then ultimately Joseph's response. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. I know at this point is where you're glossing over because you've heard this story so many different times over Christmas seasons. But let's pay attention with keen eyes to the details in this text because I promise we cannot exhaust the wisdom of God. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife... But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So we have here first Joseph's problem. In verse 18 and 19, we, we see that the context is, is outlined for us, is explained for us. A context that we often miss because of our own cultural context. We don't understand. We don't understand what's going on here. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit and her husband, Joseph. And then later it says that Joseph considered divorce, betrothed, husband, divorce. The language of the text is clear. These two are married. Now we think that they're engaged. They are betrothed according to the text. And betrothal is not the same thing as engagement in our modern context. Betrothal looks like it in that it's a year-long period that happens before the actual wedding day and before the consummation of the marriage. It's a year-long process where the husband, the fathers typically arrange a marriage, and the, and the husband and the wife or the fiancés, which at this time they would have called each other husband and wife in betrothal, they are given to one another in marriage, they are committed to one another, they are considered married, and they would have considered and would have called one another husband and wife. And then the husband would go back to his family home and he would begin to build on or add on part uh, part of the estate, either another room or another part of the estate. And, And in doing that, he's preparing a place for her. And this is why Jesus says when he leaves, I'm going away to prepare a room for you. In my father's house, there are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will return. To do what? To come and take you his bride to be with him. And so they are considered married in this context. And he, he, the husband's going to return, take her, and then they will have a wedding day, and they will consummate the marriage, and they will live together in that context. The only way a betrothal was, was ended was through divorce, through official means. A writ of decree, a writ of divorce, you are, you are free to go, placed in her hands, and, and then they are separated, and it's an official divorce proceeding. So in this context, they are considered married. Now, 
Consider, how did Joseph feel when the text tells us he found out that she was with child? You know exactly what he felt. He felt betrayed. The only way that this could have happened is adultery. The only way this could have happened is that she, was, she slept with someone else. The only way this happened is, is if she was unfaithful to him and all the feelings that go into that. All the emotions that go into that. The first is obviously confusion. What? What What are you talking about? You're with child. What are you talking about? With child from the Holy Spirit? What are you even talking about? He absolutely would have felt confusion. He absolutely would have felt betrayal. What? Who? Why? I don't understand. He would have absolutely felt pain. How could you? I don't understand. How, why would you do this? He would have been fearful. What's everybody going to think? What's everybody going to think about me? What's everybody going to think about us? They're going to do the math. They're going to know that, that we were unfaithful or you were unfaithful. They're, they're going to do the math that you were pregnant before we ever consummated the marriage. They're going to know. Everyone's going to find out. What's the world going to think of me or even us? And then you know that it ultimately resulted in anger and blame, like it often does with all of our emotions. Not simply what, but how could you? I can't believe that you would do this. I can't believe that you would ruin our marriage. I can't believe that you would ruin my dreams. I can't believe that, what about me? What about my feelings? What about my goals? What about my dreams? We know these are certainly feelings that are going through his head. And how do we know that? Because we've all been there. We've all felt very real feelings just like Joseph in this moment. And what's interesting is in the text, the text says that he was a just and righteous man. Just, sometimes translated, sometimes righteous. That means he's a law keeper. He's a student of the law. He's a student of God's word. He wants to do everything he can to please God, to keep the law, to honor him, to do what God asked him to do. So you know that there's no doubt, don't ever doubt for a second, that all these emotions and feelings that he's feeling in this moment towards her and about his circumstances situation, he would have turned towards God. Not simply how dare you, Mary, but how dare you, God. I can't believe that you would allow this in my life. I can't believe that you would let these things happen. How could you? Look at all that I have done for you. I'm a lawkeeper. I'm a just man. I'm righteous. These are the emotions and the feelings that Joseph most certainly felt in this moment because they are married and she has a child. And all of these things are going through his head. He's reeling in this circumstance. The text says that he's considering these things, not simply the, the, the things that he is feeling, but also how he can solve this problem. Joseph's problem are a messy set of circumstances and really messy solutions. Horizontal human solutions that he thinks that he can come up with to solve this situation. Which raises a question for us. Why do we get the details on Joseph? Why do we, why do we need this? Why does the story unfold this way? Here's another question. Why did Mary get forewarning? The text with the story in Mary says the angel of the Lord appeared to her and you will conceive. Will. It's coming. It's going to happen. You will conceive a child. Joseph doesn't get forewarning. Joseph doesn't get the heads up. Joseph gets the mess. 
Joseph gets the emotions. Joseph gets the slap in the face shock that she's with child. He gets the wrestling match with all of those emotions and all of those feelings. He gets the, the time that he's trying to solve the problem. He's trying to, it says, deep, consider deeply think on what he can do to solve and fix this. Why do we get the details on Joseph? Why don't We know the stories about the birth of, of Emmanuel, God with us. That is the primary focus. But why do we need the details on Joseph? Because Emmanuel, God with us, come to save, has come into messy circumstances, messy lives to rescue messy people. That's exactly why he's come. This story is for you and I, because this is you and I. We are Joseph. We are messy individuals in messy circumstances trying to solve our lives, solve our problems, solve everything by horizontal solutions. And Joseph is invited to do something different. He's invited to look somewhere different. That's not where immediately he goes. Immediately he tries to solve the problem on his own. It's interesting, this, this week, my family, we were putting together this puzzle. It was a big floor puzzle, and we were all laying on the floor putting it together, and it's a picture of a, of a little Main Street city, you know, kid-looking thing with streets and stuff, and they can put their cars on it, and there's a, a Ferris wheel, and there's snowmen and there's little lanes where they can drive their cars and our girls have the cars out and they're just moving around on the thing and then our girls call their nativity sets their activity sets and they went and found the activity sets and they went and got all the characters because they wanted to make this three-dimensional and add some life to this story and so they got their their activity sets and brought joseph and mary and baby jesus and the camels and the sheep and the wise men and they're all there on the on the scene and on the on the puzzle and our sweet baby little Eleanor, three years old, picks up baby Jesus and smashes every character on the, on, the, on the thing. There goes the little camel, and there goes the little sheep, and there goes Joseph and Mary. They're kicked out of town, and there's every, everything smashed into chaos. And my oldest five-year-old says, uh, I don't think Jesus would have done that. Of course, we did what you did. We laughed, and we couldn't help, and she's exactly right. Jesus did not come in to crush us. He did not come in to bring chaos. He came into chaos to bring peace, and that's what this story is about. That's why we get the details of Joseph. That's why we're hearing this. That's why we understand from the context we can relate to this because this is our life as well. Now, Joseph's world is rocked. His dreams are dashed. We can understand the feelings that he has, but now look at the horizontal solutions that, are, that come to mind, that are presented to him, that are available to him, that are promising peace. The first is law-keeping. That's the first horizontal solution that he thinks he, he, that's offered to him. Because why? He's a just man and righteous man. He's a student of the law. He would have known exactly what the law taught. He would have known that the law offered a couple of solutions to this problem, the least of which is a curse, the most of which is death. The first is a curse. November, no, November. Numbers chapter 5, verse 11 to 31, tells us, gives us a scenario, and it involves a suspected adulterer. When a man suspects that his wife has committed adultery, then what does he do? He doesn't know the culprit. He doesn't know the person. He doesn't know if it's actually happened. What does he do? He suspects something's happened. The prescription at this time was to bring her then before the priest, and the priest would go through this 
routine, this priestly routine, where some dust from the temple, the floor of the temple would put into water and that she would drink the water. And if she had committed adultery, then she would be cursed with barrenness for life. And if she did not commit adultery, then she would go free and she would not be barren. So a curse is one option on the table for Joseph. Divorce is another option on the table for Joseph at this time. Deuteronomy chapter 24, which is a, a hotly debated text, debated even into the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is asked about this text and a specific word in this text. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes, he's allowed to write her a certificate of divorce and put it in her hands and send her out of his house, and she may depart and and, and move on. And the question in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 19 is, what does that word indecency mean? There's two schools of thought. Indecency means he found some sort of blemish. He didn't like the way she dressed one day, looked one day, acted one day. Another school of thought was she's acted in some sort of sexually immoral way, possibly even adultery. And in that context, then, they ask the question, why did Moses allow for divorce? And Jesus says, because of the hardness of your hearts, because of the rebellion of your hearts, because of, of sin in your hearts. And so he, he tends towards this answer here that it's for adultery. It, regardless, it's, this word indecency means that she acted in, likely, because of Jesus' interpretation, some sexually immoral way, and it's known. And the option on the table at this time was divorce. And then there's a third way that's available to Joseph that comes to mind if he's a student of the law, a law keeper, a just and righteous man who knows the word of God, and that is death. Deuteronomy chapter 22, 23 to 24. If there's a betrothed virgin, does that sound familiar? And a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry out for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Leviticus 20, verse 10, amplifies this. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So one way is law-keeping. The other way is Joseph's law, Joseph's wisdom, Joseph's intellect, Joseph's way. And that's what he chooses here. He chooses a different way. He, he's, he's, he's a law keeper. He's a student of the word. But he's also compassionate and caring and merciful and loving. And he does not want to shame Mary. The text makes that clear. And so he chooses what he thinks is the lesser of these ways. He chooses to, it says, quietly divorce her. That word quiet means secretly. It means he's not going to bring her before the priest. He's not going to bring her before the people. He's not going to bring her out into the town square. He's not going to take her out before the, the religious leaders and have her stoned. He's not going to do all of these things. He's going to do it secretly, which means he's going to do the writ of decree of divorce. He's going to place it in her hand, but he's only going to do it before one or two witnesses so that there are witnesses associated with it to verify the reality of this commitment that he's making. He's, in this moment, what he's also doing is foregoing the bride price. It's extraordinary. 
because it was an arranged marriage likely at this time, and so therefore a bride price would have been paid, probably 12 camels, 23 camels. I don't know the price of a bride at this time, but there were so many things that were given in honor and, and recognition of the extreme value of this daughter. That would have already been paid. And so therefore, if he's going to do this secretly, he's saying, I just want to wash my hands of this. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't. He has legal right to that bride price, to reclaim it, but he says, I don't want it. Why? Because he's doing it secretly. These are the ways that are in Joseph's mind, not simply the emotions that he's feeling, but also the alternatives that are promising him peace. But if you look at that list right there, no matter the way, they all lead to separation. They all lead to disintegration. They all lead to further shame. They all lead and even can lead to death. What are we learning in this moment? The ways of man lead to death. They lead to separation. They lead to disintegration. The ways that are promising peace to Joseph lead to emptiness. They don't lead to peace. They lead to more chaos. Do we not live in a time, do, it doesn't matter what time we live in, do we not live looking for horizontal solutions to all of our circumstances? Do we not live in a world that promises peace that cannot deliver? We have politicians, we're in a political season, they're constantly promising peace. Vote for me and you will experience X, Y, Z. Even Coke machines in the cafeteria. You will get whatever you want. I'll give you whatever you want. You'll be satisfied. You'll be happy. You need me. We're in a season right now where if you'll just buy this, then you'll be happy. We live in a time where if I could just get into that relationship, then I'll be happy and I'll experience peace. If I could just get out of this relationship, then I'll be happy and have peace. If I could just have children, if I could just have three children, then I'll have peace. If I could just have 12 children, whatever it is, if I could just get rid of my children, I'll have peace. We think that whatever it is will give us peace. We're hunting horizontally for vertical solutions. The only thing that will ever satisfy. Joseph's no different than you and I. He feels no different than you and I. He hunts for answers no differently than you and I. And that's what leads to this amazing promise. In the middle of Joseph reeling from this shock. With all the emotions and with all the answers that he thinks will solve the problem, God offers another way. God promises and offers another way. He presents to him an alternative. And it's not really an alternative as though it's one option among many. It's the only way. The only way Joseph will ever experience true peace, true joy, true hope, true meaning, True stability in the midst of chaotic circumstances. And we begin to see that promise in verse 20. But as Joseph considered these things, again, that means to think deeply. He is pondering. He is, he is processing. He's trying to understand what has happened. He's trying to certainly turn and ask, God, what have you done? I don't understand. Do you know what you're doing here? Are you even on the throne how could you do this? How could you do this? In the middle of all of that. And then he's reeling just like all of us in the midst of those kind of circumstances trying to solve the problem. And then in verse 20, as he's considering these things, behold, an angel of the Lord of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, 
do not fear. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Do not fear. Do not be anxious. Do not be stirred up. Do not be agitated within. Do not be tumultuous within. Don't don't be fearful and worried. Imagine all the things that he has to worry about. What will my parents think? What will my father think? What will my mother think? What will my friends think? What will the religious leaders think? What will the community think? What will culture think? What will anyone think? Oh my goodness, what do I even think? All the things that would agitate and stir him up. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, do not fear. But he doesn't stop there. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. In other words, there's another way available to you. You think that it's a curse. You think that it's divorce. You think that it's death. You think that it's a secret divorce. But there's another way. That's the way of trusting me, God. That's what Joseph is being invited to do here in this moment. That way is the way of trusting God. It's the way of trusting him at his word. It's the way of trusting his promises. It's the way of trusting his faithfulness. It's the way of trusting his goodness. It's the way of faith. Particularly the way of faith and trust in the Son in her womb. That's the way God is inviting Joseph to experience true peace. The way of true peace is by trusting God through the son that he is providing in her womb. Though it's unbelievable, though it's incomprehensible, though it's inconceivable, though it's just outright seemingly unplausible, I want you to trust me and the son in her womb. That's the way to true peace. We say, why? Why trust him? Because the answer is given in the text. He's not just any son. His name is, you will call him Jesus. And then it says, for or because, the angel gives the reason he's to be called Jesus, for because he will save his people from their sins. That's why his name is Jesus. Jesus is literally a Hebrew variation of the word Joshua, which means God saves. He's come to save, to save you from your sins, but it doesn't end there. It gets better. It's the best infomercial on earth, and there's more. His name is not simply Jesus who has come to save. His name is Emmanuel, and there's a, there's a, a clarity here, a parenthesis, so that we understand what Emmanuel means. It means God with us. He's not just any ordinary son. He is God with us to save. Let that sink in, because this is where we gloss over. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us in the mess. God with us in the chaos. God with us in the betrayal, in the, with us within the brokenness, in the darkness. God with us. He has come and come near, and he's come near to save, to rescue, to redeem, 
Not simply from Rome. That's another shock in the text. If we read this through shocked eyes, how should this text shock us? One way is that the sentence doesn't end, God with us, Jesus is to be named Jesus, the the Messiah come to save from our sins. It doesn't say Rome. He didn't come to rescue us from little Rome. He came to rescue us from our rebellious hearts, from the wrath of God. God has put forward his own solution, his own redemption, his own answer to his own wrath. Jesus, he is the only way to true peace. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So Jesus is God with us come to save. The son that Joseph fears, the son that Joseph doesn't understand, the son that Joseph is about to dismiss and remove from his life is the son of promise, is the son of hope, is the son of peace. The son that you don't understand, the son that seems so inconceivable, the son that you would like to dismiss and remove from your life is your only hope. Jesus. Joseph, you need more than your righteousness. You need more than your own good moral performance. You need more than your own honor. All of those are beautiful. All of those are evident in the text. All of those are wonderful, but you need more. You need the righteousness of the son in her womb. You need the righteousness of Jesus. So the question for Joseph is, who will he trust? Which way will he choose? Which way will he go? Will he continue down the path of trusting in his own mind, his own intellect? Or will he lean not on his own wisdom and understanding and trust in the Lord and him alone? And what he's revealing to him in this moment. We see in the text, it's clear, he trusts, he trusts God He trusts the way of God, and he experiences life and peace. And we need to be transparent. We need to be honest. This is not often said. This is not often communicated about the Christian life. This does not mean that Joseph, in in receiving life and peace because he trusted God and trusted the Son and the righteousness of the Son in her womb, it does not mean he lived a peaceful, ordinary, avoidant of risk life. No, he still suffered the shame. He took her to be his wife. He still suffered the shame. He still suffered the reputational cost. He even suffered the extraordinarily inconvenient and difficult flight from Nazareth to Egypt when Herod threatened to take Jesus' life. Joseph's life was anything but easy after this decision. But he had peace because he had the true peace of being known and knowing God, of being known by Jesus and knowing Jesus, of of having a right relationship to God, righteousness outside of himself. He had true peace. Trusting God is not without cost. It's not without difficulty. It's not without possible ridicule and shame. And that's true for us. Trusting this absurd story that makes no sense will be costly. Costly to you, Because you will have to humble yourself to believe it. And costly to us as we walk according to this in the world. And it's not experienced without faith. 
That's why this story is so countercultural and so counter every world religion. Every world religion says it's by might, it's by strength, it's by wisdom, it's by your intellect and your ability and what you know and what you can produce and what you can add and what you can bring to the table and what you have. Every, every world religion, all of our culture, the air we breathe is you get to God by climbing up. But this story is opposite of that. It's God comes down to us. And it requires weakness, humility, and faith to believe it. This story shows us through this innocent, vulnerable, humble, little baby that the way into the kingdom of God is by weakness and the way of the kingdom of God is by weakness. The way in is not by might, right, strength, ability, intellect. The way in is by humbling ourselves, bending the knee, bowing the head, acknowledging we cannot gain it or earn it. My righteousness is not enough. I need a righteousness outside of me. I need the righteousness of the Son. And that's also how we grow in the Christian faith. It's not by might, right, strength, or intellect. It's by the power of Jesus, by denying our own power and ability to change and and hoping in his power and ability to change us. There's no other way. This story demands us to humble ourselves. It demands us to see that true peace is not found through human means. It demands us to renounce our wisdom and trust God, and that's exactly what Joseph does. And that's the last thing we see in this text is his response. The text is amazing. Everything goes from this man who is fearful to this man who now wakes up and acts, does exactly what he was commanded and told to do, operating in faith, faithful obedience. It says that that he took Mary and he named the son Jesus. He took Mary and named the son Jesus. He awoke and did exactly what he was instructed. He refused to trust his own wisdom. He he refused to trust his own understanding. He refused to to trust himself and instead trusted God at his word and what he promised and who this son was. He, He denied and disbelieved his own emotions and fears. He denied and disbelieved the circumstances and the message they preach. And our circumstances preach loud, loudly, far more loud than our hearts, our minds, and, and, and even the truth sometimes. He, he disbelieved his circumstances. He disbelieved his own emotions. He disbelieved his own intellect. And he hoped in, trusted in God. He hoped against hope. And he believed what God promised in these verses. When it started, Joseph thought he was betrayed. When it ends, we see that he's actually been blessed. Far beyond his wildest imaginations, he can't even comprehend how, he, how much he's been blessed. But in the middle of the darkness, in the middle of the chaos, he trusts God and he hoped against hope and believed despite all these things, all the messages that everyone else preached, what everybody else thought, what he even thought, and he placed his faith in God and the Son in Mary's womb. He took Mary and he named him Jesus. This is an amazing story that starts with fear and ends with faith. It started with the horizontal solutions of man and ends with the only vertical solution for all mankind. It started with confusion and ends with absolute clarity. And here's the thing. When we study the scriptures, you need to understand we're studying texts like this. We study characters like this. Sometimes there's multiple characters in the text. We have to ask the question, who am I in this text? We're not the angel of the Lord. 
the only option for us is Joseph. And when you see the only option, only one option in a text like Joseph, and you see the transition of a man from fear to faith, from confusion to clarity, you and I have to ask, which Joseph am I? Am I the man that started with with despair and betrayal and distrust towards everyone and even God, the one that found himself in dark, miserable circumstances and the one that's in those dark and miserable circumstances and trying trying to solve them by my own ability, my own intellect, my own might, trusting in the horizontal solutions that promise peace? Or am I the Joseph that said, not my will, but yours be done? Am I the Joseph that despaired of his own ability to solve and to fix and and narrate his life and said, no, you're the narrator of all. I'm not in control. I'm not king. I don't know what's going on. I can't fix it, but you do and you can. It's yours and I trust you. Which Joseph are you? Which Joseph am I? The one who leans on his own understanding and trusts in himself or the one who leans not on his own understanding and trusts the Lord with all his heart. The one who is desperately trying to control all the scenarios and solutions and narratives to his life or trusting the God of the universe who knows all scenarios, solutions, and narrative of his life. What's God asking of you in this text? He's asking of you to do the same thing he's asking of Joseph. Will you trust me? Will you trust me over your own wisdom, over your own mind, over your own intellect, over your own ability? Will you trust me over your parents? Will you trust me over your spouse? Will you trust me over your children? Will you trust me over your job? Will you trust me over your salary? Will you trust me over your 401k? Will you trust me over everything in this world? Even yourself, will you trust me? Will you deny your wisdom and way and trust God's? This is both the way into the kingdom and it's the way of the kingdom. It's the way that we're saved and it's the way that we grow. Through each of these birth narratives, as we've studied and as we will study, we're learning something different, not simply about the characters. That's the primary angle we're we're entering this text through, their eyes and their situations. But we're also learning something about Jesus. And who Jesus is in the midst of their circumstances and situations and scenarios. And in this story, we learn that he is God with us come to save. God with us in the darkness. God with us in the betrayal. God with us in the midst to come to save. In the story with Mary, we learn that he's the son of the Most High who will reign on David's throne forever. There will be no end of his reign. There will be no end of his reign. No limits to it, no end to it. In the story with the shepherds, we're going to learn that he's the source of unending joy and the means, the only true means to unending joy and true peace. And then in the story of the wise men, we're going to learn that he's the king, but not just any king. He's a king with a shepherd's heart, a king with all authority, but one who came to serve to lay down his life for you and I, to care for you and I, to rescue us, to redeem us. So how will you respond? Joseph receives a vision here, a a reality, a clarity on, on what God is doing in his life. 
How will you respond to this vision, this clarity, this super clear clarity that God has revealed in his word? Will you awake and obey? Will you awake and submit your will to his? Will you awake and see that even in the chaos of whatever circumstances you're in, and I know you're in them, we're all in them, we all find ourselves in them, will we trust God? Him and His will and His way and what He's doing and His glory over against our own. That's both the way in and both the way of. Or will you cling to yourself and grope in the dark for horizontal solutions that are promising peace that cannot deliver? Every single one of us are hunting for solutions to whatever we're facing. Some of us hunt for it in substances. Some of, it, uh, of us hunt for it in success. Some of us hunt for it in spouses. Some of us hunt for it in children. Some of us hunt for it in our possessions. Some of it, it doesn't matter. We're all hunting for it. Do you see in this text there's only one that can provide it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us this story of reality, of the coming of Jesus, and how he comes into the midst of messy circumstances and messy lives like ours to rescue and redeem, to provide peace and hope and joy and promise in the midst of them. And it doesn't mean that, that you come to remove all of them all of our circumstances, but you come to provide us peace in the midst of them. That's all we need. All we need is God with us. That's it. That's all it was. That was enough for Joseph. You're on the throne and I'm not. That's all I need to know. May that be the confession of our hearts, the confession of our lives, the confession of our actions, the confession of our practices confession of our marriages, the confession of our parenting, the confession of all things, that you are on the throne and I yield to you. Not my way, but yours be done. If there's anyone in this room that does not know Jesus, and I know they're in this room, I pray they would despair of themselves in this moment and hope in Jesus and Jesus alone, renouncing their way and their wisdom and their might and their strength and hoping in the power and strength and might and grace of Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.